Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to the TFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and today I'm joined by Alex Stewart. Hi, Alex. Hey, Joe. How are you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? Oh, you know. Everything's fine. We'll be joined by Seb shortly enough. He's delayed, but no worries. We've started without him because he's really not that important anyway. There's lots to discuss today. The uh, The Charity Shield occurred over the weekend, of course, which was fun. I was surprised by how much I missed football, even though it had been gone for three weeks. So we'll talk about that. Uh, Seb's put all sorts of strange things like Montpellier Marseille in here and Metz Lille. So, you know, maybe we'll get around to that. Uh, West Ham, a little bit about West Ham. Barcelona and Juventus. The danger of doing uh, an intro at the beginning before we've actually done the thing is we might not talk about any of those things but two things we definitely will talk about Alex Messi and Lukaku and do you know where the best place is to read about Messi and about Lukaku Alex I have a feeling you're gonna tell me Joe it's the athletic if you visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, you'll find that for this week only, you can get 50% off an annual subscription to The Athletic. And I believe that takes us back to the 8p a day times. Is that right? The point is, it's about the price of an expensive London cup of coffee for the entire month of exclusive access to some of the best football writers in the country. And I tell you what, they really come into their own around this time of year, don't they? It's lovely to read all of the interesting stuff, uh, particularly about Messi and Lukaku. And we'll be talking about that today. There's your cue to nod or say something. <laughs> oh, right. Uh, well, I, I'm, I'm very excited that um, Dan Sheldon and Adam Leventhal have reported the uh, Adam Armstrong potentially to Southampton move. So yeah, that's, that's something for me to get stuck into. What a way to get the masses happy and excited. Jubilant, you might say. Anyway, for now, I will leave you in the cold, dead arms and embrace of Seb Stafford Bloor, who's not here because he's late. Lionel Messi, because it was, I mean, jokes aside, actually, it was rather um, astonishing to watch yesterday. And I don't say astonishing, not, I mean, it's the wrong word, isn't it? Not surprising. It was, it was something to watch his press conference, Alex, uh, as he, uh, you know, was in tears, uh, acknowledging leaving the club, I suppose, that, that he loves, that he's been at for, for a number, number of years, over a decade, of course, as everyone around him gave him a, a standing ovation, which lasted for many seconds. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of manufactured emotion in football, um, but it's very difficult to watch that press conference and not feel that that Messi is genuinely 
sad about what's happened. Obviously, Barcelona fans are genuinely sad because they've lost somebody who is still arguably the the greatest current player and probably the greatest ever. Mm. Um, and it's not through Messi's fault, is it? I mean, the the simple fact is that, as Dermot Corrigan has catalogued on The Athletic, that Barcelona are just a very badly run club at the moment. Um, yeah. I, I found the Messi should play for free opinions slightly bizarre. I mean, not least because it's not actually lawful under, under Spanish <laughs> employment law. Um, but also... Yeah, for good reason. Why? Like, yeah. you know, he he's a valuable commodity. His his labour is worth something. If the club can't get their ducks in a row sufficiently yeah. to sign him, why, why should he have to do that? Yeah, it's not his fault that he can't not play there all. anymore. Absolutely yeah. not. No. I found it very moving. And I thought also it seemed... Obviously, it was a moment of uh, realization, and crucially, in the moments before um, before he, he he breaks down a little bit, he says he doesn't have any more words. He doesn't know what else to say. He figured he'd open it up for questions, and it feels like when you look at the pace of his career, uh, how much he's won, how successful he's been, even just how many goals he's scored, and how to maintain the level that he's at. I mean, at thirty four years old, he mustn't have stopped ever. So it feels like kind of poignant in a sense. I know I'm over-dramatizing uh, it and romanticizing it a little bit, but the idea that he didn't have any more words and had to stop and there was a silence before there were any questions, it feels like a, a great poignant moment of reflection, you know? He's leaving this club yeah. now, but also maybe that's one of the first times he's been able to look back and think about actually what he's achieved. I, I think that's very true because I think, yes, obviously from an on-field perspective, he's been the the talisman that that, you know, that club that is particularly associated with a particular period of domination as well under Guardiola as a manager, which said wrote very beautifully about on The Athletic. Mm. Um, but Messi has been emblematic of that period, more so even than the kind of the homegrown players like Iniesta and Xavi. That's partially a longevity thing. It's partially an ability thing. And then also during the pandemic period, where Messi was sort of advocating for pay cuts and trying to ensure that the club was looking after its staff and that kind of thing. He took on a certain leadership role off the pitch as well. Um, and I, I can't really think, I mean, maybe Cruyff for Ajax, but I, I can't yeah. think of a player who has come to stand so emphatically for their club over such a long period of time and yeah. done on and off the pitch so much for them. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, it's easier to think of examples for national teams, maybe, but not for club teams. It's hard. Maybe Totti. Yeah, no, that's true. But also with with a fraction of the success that those other two players had. Um, sure. sure. And I, th I think you're right. In order to maintain those personal levels of success, but also to be the, the catalyst for the team to be able to continue achieving that sort of thing, it places an enormous burden on somebody. Okay, well, the expectation is that Messi will sign for PSG. I mean, he's made it, uh, we've made it clear during the press conference that he hasn't agreed anything and lots of clubs are interested, but all of the reports appear to um, point towards that being a reality. And it's possible by the time people are listening to this that that has become a reality. The thought of that team with Mbappe and Neymar and Messi and Di Maria and Verratti <laughs> and also all the other players too. The thought of that team is rather frightening, isn't it? Just, yeah. Just have a go at that. It, it is frightening. Um, I mean, I think as well that the, the capacity that team will have under Pochettino as a coach, 
the amount of talent that they have in depth, particularly in the attacking positions, but also obviously they've signed Sergio Ramos, who brings experience and, and leadership as well. Um, it's very difficult to look past them, certainly as very, very serious Champions League contenders. Yeah. Um, but also, I think it'll be interesting to see if they're fun, because there is a, a possibility maybe that that you end up getting that alchemy slightly wrong, and they're not as attacking as they want to be, or the team is unbalanced. Or so well, I like the idea that Pochettino has, a... has gone from a place where he was desperate for stars and had Harry Kane, obviously, to a place yeah. where he's got too many. He's got maybe. almost too many. Yeah. Well, that that's the problem with these sorts of teams. There always has to be. A balance and it's you go back to someone like Claude Makélélé's job at Real Madrid you know um, whether it's mm. Adressa Gay that does that that there will have to be somebody that knits that team together in terms of how it plays um, yeah. and it, it will be interesting to see how Pochettino manages that. Seb sent us a text message to say that uh, there's a noise that he can't stop and I think he must be referring to his internal monologue, which I'm sure is berating him for being such a such a bad person, you know. But I wish he was here to answer a question about uh, what he thinks Messi will will be like at PSG, you know. I have arrived. The monologue has been silent. Oh, it's weird. I can hear his internal monologue, and it is. It makes me so upset. It's horrible. I don't Do like it. I'm going to. I really want to crumple away into a ball of nothingness. Hi, Seb. What was the noise you couldn't stop? Was it your internal monologue? No. So I have recently moved into a new house and from time to time there are things that go on in the house that make lots and lots of noise and I do not have a good enough command of German to make them stop. And it makes I think me just, really, really you, angry. Don't you shout Scheitzer out the window over and over again until they stop? No, I tried that and uh, no one was very responsive. It just sure. came across like I was having some kind of minor breakdown. So, Seb, tell me what you think about uh, Messi at PSG. In fact, you missed a bit at the beginning where we were talking about uh, his press conference. I thought maybe you'd like to speak about that because it was very moving. We said it was moving. I found it, Joe, in equal parts moving and a little bit strange because very unusual, isn't it? When, when in the past have you ever had a situation where a player and a club, despite reaching an agreement, despite making concessions to one another, have been prized apart? And I suppose it was kind of the perfect metaphor for modern football, in inverted commas, because it's not really about football at all, is it? And there have been so many things like this lately, big transfer fees, a small collection of clubs only able to afford to buy the very best players, also so much dysfunction that you can become a little bit hardened and fatigued towards it. It was unusual. It almost felt voyeuristic, actually, because it felt yes. like you were intruding upon something that you had no business seeing. It was very, very strange. Do you know how I see history? I see special moments as, uh, oh, this will be in lots of documentaries. Do you know what I mean? Almost as if I'm not in the moment, <laughs> but I'm looking back on it from 30 years in the future. But it had that feeling, didn't it? It had an historic feeling attached. It's, you know, in uh, Premier League years on Sky, when you break mm. from the action to have little current affairs snippets over the kind of you know, in the background to left field playing over the top of it. This will be one of those and you'll get a, uh, a Sky Sports News reporter talking about it and saying, oh yes, and you know, in August, uh, Lionel Messi said a tearful goodbye to Barcelona and you'll sure. see Messi and some subtitles and him crying and Gerard Piquet looking sad and yeah, it all being very historical as you said yeah. correctly. Are you excited to see him at PSG if indeed no, he does go there? Do not care, could not possibly care less. 
I just there's, I, no, there's I, nothing I, in you that is excited to see uh, Neymar, Mbappe, and Messi together. There's not. There's not even a tiny iota of your silly being that is a little bit excited about the prospect of that front three. I've really tried with PSG. You're I've dead really, inside. Really, really tried to sus- uh, suspend the reality and just enjoy Mbappe for who he is and Neymar. And to be honest, Mbappe, I can just about because he's a bit more new and and I feel like I'm still learning about him as a player. With Neymar, not so much. With Messi, I've already seen the very best moments of his career. I love watching him, but I don't feel as if... I feel as if whatever happens from this point onwards has been denied a a context which was important, attention that was important before. Uh, And I don't have that now. I don't have, for instance... Yes, you could say that Barcelona during their, their very, very best years were no match for Sevilla and Atletico Madrid and you know Valencia. They, they routinely bullied these teams, but you always had a you always had a Clasico on the horizon. You always had something in the calendar which was a yardstick, which would, you'd have a sort of a building up towards moment. And PSG's four Champions League games that matter a season, they don't do it for me. I don't. I don't. I just don't care enough. And that's you know not coming with a you know, a, a deeper meaning. I just can't make myself believe in it or make it feel like it matters. Alex, as a man who only really cares about patterns and lines, you must be a bit excited about the possible lines and patterns that you might see. I think so. I mean, like I Great. said, it, <laughs> it, it, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see how Pochettino crafts this team into something. Um and to what degree the uh, the pragmatism of, of having to rotate and balance the competing egos and stuff has a, an impact on the tactics. Um, I mean, football tactics generally is not evolving an enormous amount anyway. So mm-hmm. I don't I don't think we're going to see some sort of massive change because they now have the ability to do something with this front three that no one else can do. It's you know. But I think also, like Seb, it, it becomes difficult to divorce even that stuff from the the context, and the context is increasingly dispiriting. So yeah. let's hope for some good lines. Great, great. Well, speaking of lines and uh, thrusting, thrusting lines, Romelu Lukaku, great off the ball, and of course, off the pitch, we're hearing all sorts of things about how he might be probably going back to Chelsea. So I thought we'd talk about that as well because um, it's an exciting prospect. I think it makes Chelsea seem like an extraordinarily good team ahead of next season. Um, also, it's a little odd that he's going back. I suppose some of the context around the transfer uh, relates to uh, Inter Milan's need to, to sell. Um, what do you make of this one? This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, I'm a bit 50-50 on it because obviously, like you say, financially, there's an obvious reason for it. Inter have no money. Inter need money. 
Lukaku is probably their most saleable asset at the moment, so that makes sense. Mm. On the other hand, I'm always a little bit wary when a player has found a decent home somewhere where for Lukaku it seems like there's this perfect confluence of factors. He is a, a very good team with players who suit him. He is also the main man in that team, really. I would place him above players like Barella and Martinez and Skriniar. Like he, he's the kind of the figurehead. I read. I, well, I according listening... to everything I've read, he was he was happy to stay. So it wasn't like he was pushing for a move. No, and and that seems to tally with what we've heard. I don't think there's been any uh, there's been any agitation like previously with Lukaku. He's whenever he's gone off and he's unhappy during his club career, whenever he's gone off on international duty, he's spoken to a journalist and, you know, he's he's put a line in a paper which suggests that a move isn't too far away. That hasn't happened here. And I, and I understand why, because he has a perfect situation. I think this is probably the first time in his career where everybody has universally said, goodness, what a good player he is. There aren't the, the asterisks and caveats. People aren't boring one about his first touch, that kind of stuff. And now he's leaving that behind, returning to Chelsea where, potentially returning to Chelsea where, I understand he has unfinished business, he was never really given an opportunity there, and yet he puts himself back into the middle of a really tedious debate. Because English football has always had a slightly different relationship with Lukaku to the one the Italian football has. Mm. Um, So I I fear for him a little bit. I think he'll be very successful just because I think that Chelsea team uh, is set up to benefit him as long as they don't try and play him as a target man which has been the kind of the the problem in the past. But I can't see... I don't think Tuchel will do yeah, that. No. Also, you have to think like, see, Alex, Timo Werner and Romelu Lukaku playing together, two players who are very, very good at making runs. And they, I mean, they're generally speaking, they're great without the ball, right? And with it, of course. That's terrifying for any team that they play against, right? Well, it, it gives them this enormous benefit because Werner has a a tendency to drift out into the the left side of the pitch. Lukaku excels, particularly playing for Belgium, going the other way. And that that will open up space for someone, for example, like Havertz or potentially Mason Mount pushing up from the sort of eight position. So it, it allows Chelsea to have this sort of shifting emphasis with their attacking patterns in the wide areas. And I can see that as a partnership working really well. Also, Werner, previously when he's played well, he has played alongside or slightly off a more uh, physically competitive striker. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that will be of benefit to him. I mean, I'm not saying that Yusuf Poulsen and Lukaku are similar players, but but there will be um, there will They're be both stronger than Timo Werner. <laughs> sure. I, I, you know, defenders, defenders will be occupied with Lukaku's presence in a way that should allow not just Werner, I think also Havertz will be will be a yeah. real beneficiary of this. Um, and, you know, Chelsea already were well set to be the challenger this coming season, I would say. I mean, in Tuchel, they have an exceptional manager, uh, somebody who really refined his approach over the course of that season, bedded in very, very quickly, got players doing what he wanted them to do. And we saw how players like Rudiger or Christensen Kovacic really kind of stepped up again under Tuchel. Uh, you add a striker of Lukaku's proven quality to that mix, which maybe was the one area that they were lacking. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, they seem extremely dangerous. Yeah, no, I can see that. That's very interesting. I mean, I was thinking uh, generally about the Premier League in terms of who's challenging this year. I mean, don't even know who the favourite is. You would have thought, I guess it's Manchester City, but lots of teams have strengthened in a way that they just didn't last yeah. season, right? I mean, even Manchester United with Jadon Sancho. I think United are 
I mean, not a dark horse. That's a stupid thing to say because... Um, <laughs> Back to know, the dark horse chat. They've got lots of money and they finish well. But I think I think Solskjaer is kind of batting off some of these issues now around his coaching. Players do seem yeah. to be developing well under him. They've got, you know, in adding... Like, I'm not as hot on Varane as some people are, but Sancho undoubtedly is an enormous talent. Um I still think they're a defensive midfielder light, like everybody else does. Um, but so they're absolutely in the mix. City, again, I think City have issues unless they do sign Harry Kane. They look light up front. I mean, they didn't... I think their their highest number of shots in the, the charity shield was Gundogan. Again, you can't keep relying on a midfielder bursting forwards to create all of your goals. So unless they do get a legit striker coming in, I'm not as keen on City, and then obviously mm. you've got Liverpool there. Um, it's yeah, it's 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 very difficult. Well, one other thing to say too that we I guess we didn't mention earlier when we were talking about Messi, but a knock on of that is uh, we you know we read all read the reports beforehand that PSG were interested in signing Paul Pogba, um, and that obviously could not happen if the messy deal goes through. So that kind of throws Paul Pogba's future into flux a little bit too, um, which I guess means he'll be staying at Man United, Seb. Yeah, which to me, Joe, seems like a very miserable year for everyone involved because I think Manchester United, certainly from the reporting we've seen and read, Manchester United have kind of moved on emotionally from Paul Pogba and accepted the fact that he's probably likely to leave either this summer or next year. And for Pogba, it doesn't feel... Well, I, let's put it this way. The, the things that his agent has said suggest that he's not really invested with um, in the project. And, you know, I'm sure he'll he'll sort of remain committed in the kind of the year-to-year -year sense, but he's not there for the long term. So... Yeah, because yeah, to, to his credit, he did do that. I mean, it looked a lot like he was going to leave last summer. He obviously had injuries in the season, but he was one of United's best players last season when he was there and looked 100% committed to playing every game. Yeah, I, I always think that actually... With Pogba, the problem, part of the problem is the conversation is that you have this really, it's not a million miles away from what we were referring to with Lukaku, actually, in that there's always a discussion and always a discussion in terms which don't seem to apply to other players. I think in this situation, if you're Manchester United, like last year, you probably felt, right, if we can, if we can make several steps forward, perhaps win the Europa League and show that we're a decent contender or we are within touching distance of Manchester City or Liverpool, I know what happened to Liverpool, but even so, um, then perhaps you have a, a kind of a re-engagement. And I think Pogba, like you say, was engaged in what they were trying to do last season. Mm -hmm. It just felt very strange, the the kind of the communication from Mino Riella, Mino Riella even. And yeah. I don't know, I don't see how Pogba, with fans back, I don't, I suspect a section of them, that Man United support will be quite hostile towards him. Um, I don't think Pogba Maybe. would deal particularly well with that as most of us wouldn't it just doesn't seem great for anybody and i don't know i think time. he's i mean there's been a section of the support which has been pretty hostile to paul pogba for some time and he's always de dealt for sure well with it i suppose it's different though joe if you're if you're in a situation where you think right well i i've got three years at this club then perhaps you're inclined to be a little bit more thick-skinned towards that kind of thing if you know that in 12 months time you're going somewhere else maybe less so because what's it worth to you? Like I know what you of... mean, but I don't see any... Uh, I'm going to be uh, the Pogba fan club defender here, but I don't see any indication that that's his type of character. I know, I know, I understand how that might happen to a person, but I don't think that happens to Paul Pogba. 
I mean, what happens though, for instance, if I don't know, between now and the end of the month, Manchester United do sign the central midfielder or they think, right, it's time to try and get more of a tune out of Donny van der Beek. What happens if he becomes, sure. through no fault of his Donny, own... Donny just, van der Bulked up, apparently. Donny van der Bulked up. He does look yeah. about three stone heavier, doesn't he? He's bulked up over the summer, yeah. Has he beat our side or did someone just lock He's him away the, gym. the entire the summer? Gym. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I suppose if Solskjaer thinks, right, I am working now in a three-year cycle and... Paul Pogba, just on the basis of his contract, not because of his application or attitude or anything like that, if he's not going to be here for that period of time, then you're going to privilege and prioritise other players because that's what you should do. Um, mm. And I, to be honest, if, 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 if Paul Pogba spends the next 12 months of his of Man United career, final 12 months of his Man United career, giving brilliant performances, hats off to him. But I think sure. most players under those circumstances would struggle. I don't think it's about... Um, his world-class status or the type of player he is or anything like that. I just think it's the reality of it. We've seen this so many times before in football. You I have think he'll be... I think he'll be Manchester United's player of the year. Big shout. Okay. That's okay. my pre-season... Pre-season? Before the season prediction. There we go. Oh, well, let, we'll let, let me ask you this. Let, yeah. me, let me ask you this then. If you think he's going to be the player of the year, do you think there will be a a major effort to extend his deal? Or do you think that I both think it will? Ex I think it will probably extend before the uh, this current transfer window ends. Interesting. Okay. I don't think he'll leave on a free next year. It's strange because a couple of years ago, I think it was a couple of years ago, Arsene Wenger said that this will be the trend. He said that increasingly, what you'll find is at least your sort of elite layer of footballers will start signing much shorter deals and getting to the end of their contracts and then yeah. either extending or going for the massive contracts so the sort of the killing what, what it looks like <laughs> yeah, what happened to spurs that. right um well no it happened with actually, ericsson it happened with aldeverald it happened like they all started to run their contracts down right i'm not sure i put those players in that category like i i, I think of it as the kind of the mbappe level and oh, with okay. all due respect to ericsson aldeverald brilliant players absolutely at their best but not they're not at that level sure um, you mean elite players only I would put, yeah, the top 10 players in the world at any one time. That's the kind of the company I'm, I'm thinking of. And I, mm -hmm. it just seems a very smart move if you're a player, particularly if, for instance, if you're looking at the Harry Kane situation, you're thinking never again is someone signing a six-year deal at a club where you're sure. not necessarily guaranteed Champions League football every year. It's ridiculous. Never. Also, if anyone's looking at the Messi situation, if he does sign for PSG for what the reported figures are, he earns a 25 million euro signing on fee, which ordinarily, I suppose, would have gone to a club. Do you know? Yeah. So there's yeah. a bit of extra cash involved in doing it that way too, I suppose, if you can if you can hold out. Anyway, anyway, let's go to a break now and we'll be back after the break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're back. 
And it's time to discuss Leicester City 1. Nil Manchester City. This was, of course, the, the charity shield, Alex. And that happens every summer. The winners of the FA Cup versus the Premier League. Uh, one of the most glorious titles of all time. I love it. Love it. Normally, I, know, I don't watch it because uh, I can't be bothered with football at that point in the season. But weirdly enough, this weekend, I did watch it and I thought, oh, I'm excited. I am excited. And boy, was I happy about what happened because it was a good... What I'm saying is it was a good game. Yeah, it was an all right game. It, it was, was fine. fine. It was fine. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's in that weird kind of liminal space where it's sort of a competitive fixture and sort of still a preseason friendly. So, yeah. you know, I, There's it, I something did... on the line. There, more more for Leicester, maybe. You know. Yeah, I think I think Leicester are, are a fascinating club um, this season. They've 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 built very astutely on what they achieved under Ranieri. Their transfer work is exemplary, uh, arguably maybe second only to Brighton's uh, in terms of uh, finding. I don't want to say undervalued players, but but looking a little bit deeper into the transfer market and, and coming up with players that um, maybe are worthy of a Premier League move, but are written off for, for various other reasons. Um, I think stuff like the signing of Pat Sandaka shows a long-term planning that's very sensible, obviously, as a sort of Jamie Vardy-style replacement. Um, and they are they are the club that are most likely to to bridge that gap into the sort of the elite status, uh, the 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 big six yeah. or whatever you call it. Get up and, in there. Well, yes, and they they thoroughly deserve to be. Um, and so in, in that regard, I guess you know the 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 charity shield is a kind of an opportunity for them to show that they can compete uh, in that status um, with those sorts of clubs. But it is still slightly slower, and there were players playing for Manchester City who you're not going to see week in, week out. Yeah, tell Premier me about League those side. kids. Was the one was them was called Palmer? I remember there was another one. Um, the other one was good too. What were they like? Were they good? Who are they? Uh, um, I, I I mean I don't I. I wasn't enormously impressed. <laughs> what, when you ask Alex a question he hasn't prepared for. Tell me sure. all about one of those young players I'd never seen before, Alex. Tell Palmer, me, tell was me it? about uh, Adozi was the other one. Adozi so Samuel was the Adozi other and one, Cole yeah. Palmer. Uh, thank God for um, the internet. <laughs> who, is, who is the boy that came on? He had a, he looked like he should have been in the in-betweeners with his hair cut. He's all spiky. Who is that? Oh, oh yeah. Ben Knight. Ben yes. Knight. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I've now got the team sheet up so I can just Great. get like, well done. what I'm talking about. <laughs> Easy job. Um, I mean, yes, it was... I don't know. that Palmer was playing very, very high on that inside right position. So it was... I think that actually asked a lot of Cancelo. I'm not sure that tactically that was the most sensible move to try and do that. I guess they're compensating for the lack of thrust playing with an actual centre forward. Mm. I, I don't know. City looked... Um, a bit disjointed to me, um, whereas yeah. Leicester seemed tactically to know exactly what they were trying to do. Um, there yeah. were very repeated patterns of play, very, very good spacing between the two central midfielders. Nice oh, we and saw deep, Pats and Dakar too. We did see Pats and Dakar, yeah. Mm. It's good to see Harvey Barnes back as well. Yeah. Um, after that injury, he's, he's, a, I mean, I, I like the way that Leicester were. You know, they kept him wide on the left-hand side and they pushed Pereira up on the right-hand side to get this kind of slightly asymmetrical effect that created a lot of space for Barnes. Um, mm, and patterns and lines. 
Yeah, he's somebody who was, you know, kind of again in that very congested England left attacking midfield space. Barnes was in the conversation before his injury, so it's it's good to see him back. Yeah, um, yeah, I liked it. it. it was, I was excited. It was a fine game. It, it felt like okay. a fine game. Mm. It was. I think the only thing that I really noticed was the the step up in pace from international football. It felt like the pitch was so much more crowded, yeah. and there was so much less time on the ball than we saw during the Euro. Even in a friendly, um, it, but yeah, I mean, it's a, a sort of it, half friendly. It's a friendly. It's a hundred percent a friendly. Yes, sure, okay. It's nothing but a friendly. Fine. Let's talk about other things. Unless you were desperate to say something about the uh, charity shield, Seb. No, I really enjoyed it. it just it was so nice to have com- friendly aside. Really nice to have competitive club football back with fans. Was great. Oh sure, and they were competing for sure. I don't mean that was, they were friendly to each other. You're absolutely no, right. No, but it, it, as Alex said, the pace of it was good, and yeah. I like international football, but I love club football. And it was yeah. just, it was, it was full of those kind of things. And I thought Leicester played really well, and it was great. And I, I really enjoyed seeing Patsandaka and um, Bukar Samari's. Um, there was a passage of play which lasted about 15 seconds where he seemed to dispossess about seven players <laughs> just mm. in the one motion. It was incredible. Yeah. It was, um, it was, it was, he's like a threshing machine. Um, yeah, in that show as well, was, uh, kicking off a season with a goal, another goal. Maybe he'll have a, another stellar, stellar season. It's nice to see him do well because he, he had that awful moment against Manchester City a few years ago when he was in on goal and he missed, basically. Do you remember mm. right on the edge of the, the, the penalty box that the Etihad? No. Pretty ugly moment for a player when you go back to your old club and you miss a sitter like that. And, um, you know, if, if he'd scored, it was a game where um, Vincent Company scored that 30-yarder. And right. he had that chance to equalise, which probably would have given the title to Liverpool. And he got sort of yeah. vilified for that bit. So nice moment. And wasn't really, he had a bit of a, a dropping off when he left Man City. So it was really nice to see that kind of his um, his revival continue. And in City at Wembley. Mm. Lovely. Speaking speaking of nice, Montpellier mm. lost to uh, to Marseille, who scored three. Seb, yeah, it's one of my favourite games of the weekend. It was it was really strange because I I went into the game and uh, expecting Marseille to just be very very entertaining. Sampaoli obviously um, is a bit uh, well, his football is bold and it's aggressive mm-hmm. and it's interesting and it was all of those things for twenty five minutes. Marseille just couldn't find the final ball and, uh, you know, put themselves one up. And then they fell two behind to one fluke and one ridiculous goal from Laborde where I still don't know whether he was crossing the ball, but it's one of those where it just curled in perfectly and, and kind of kissed the post just under mm. the crossbar, went in. Mm. Marseille's comeback was great fun, um, not least because, and I know I'm repeating myself, but when they equalised, uh, when Dimitri Payet scored his, his free kick, which... Hang your head in shame if you're in that Montpellier wall. That was disgraceful. That was just if you find Ooh. it because you it was harsh it was a words. Kind of, it was very Sami Nasri ish, if that makes sure. sense. Yeah, it wasn't the bravest moment for some of those players. Anyway, I love scored. the Sami Nasri comes to represent the cowardice. Yeah. <laughs> just this is this is it. This is who he is. This is his place in the game. There He's we go. an internal reference point to describe mm-hmm. terrible things. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, uh, equaliser went in and all the Marseille players went kind of rushing to the perimeter fencing where their, um, where their fans were. It was a great moment. And then Payet scored a, a beautifully Dimitri Payet goal. Just quick feet, aggressive. 
And from the moment he picks it up, probably 25 yards out at an angle, you see him kind of gathering pace towards the penalty box. And what's about to happen is absolutely inevitable. And it was great. And it was, it was, uh, it was just a lovely way to, to finish a weekend. Like when, sure. when a weekend's football comes to a close on a Sunday night, instead of going, you know, watching some, you know, terrible like one-one nil-nil nonsense from somewhere, a proper three-two comeback, dramatic ending. Uh, it was great fun. I had a great, great day of Liga football as well. I want to put something to you now. I read and enjoyed your piece on Lionel Messi uh, that you wrote for The Athletic over the weekend. And uh, one of your sort of clinching arguments in that was that uh, you thought there was no better way to finish a a football weekend than turning on La Liga to watch uh, Messi play for Barcelona. It seems now that you're also saying that about Liga with some French teams. And of course, Messi may well move to PSG. So I put to you Mm -hmm. that your entire argument was BS, sir, and that you'll be just as happy to turn on the French football and watch Lionel Messi there I've got you I think what it's I a need gotcha moment French football is equally matched teams so uh, Montpellier Marseille is interesting because Marseille are fragile and you never quite know what they're going to be Lille interesting because they won the title despite not being overwhelmingly outstanding they are a very good sure. team but they're not uh-huh. littered with overpowering individuals yeah would I have tuned in last night to watch Montpellier against PSG I, I don't I just don't care Sure. Um, sure. So I, I think what what um what the article sort of what the point depends on is Messi being in the right place. If that makes sense, he's a homegrown Barcelona product. He is a he's a kind of the realization of. I was just trying that, to gotcha. It doesn't. I know, I know, but I'm gotcha you back. No, 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 no. no, no like, you can I, I've, Will someone I'm, someone tell me about West Ham because that's interesting. Alex, have you read this? Uh, yeah, I did. I did read it. What do you think about it? Tell me what it is, because I haven't. I haven't. This is the first time hearing about it. Okay. Well, I mean, so the Matt Slater's written a great piece on, on the Athletic, which mm. is going to give you far more detail than I can. But essentially, the summary is: um, there are people looking to buy West Ham. Um, the uh, the main guy is the son of uh, an Azerbaijani uh, oil and gas magnate of some description, wow. and, a and magnate. the son came up through. Gazprom, there are questions over just how much capital is actually available for this. Um, <laughs> yes, as ever. Um, and there's a bit of a back and forth over the valuation. So they've offered 400 million. David Golds uh, said no, but they're saying, well, that's what you said you wanted. So we're a bit confused. I think most interestingly is the presence of uh, a guy in the bid whose name I've completely forgotten. Um, but was also uh, at QPR uh, in a kind of footballing operations perspective. And he was involved in the Olympic legacy uh, of 2012 and the stadium development there. So You mean he made sense. Boris Johnson the Prime Minister? Are we talking about Dominic Cummings? Is that the, <laughs> no, isn't that the legacy of not. 2012? I, politics is not my purview, but um, this is... It, it, all, it all points towards the fact that, that the London Stadium is this uh, potentially incredibly lucrative asset um, in terms of property development. There are apartments around there. There are certain of the sporting venues that are still being used a lot. I have actually, in fact, been to the basketball one, um, which is quite interesting. Ah. But there's, there's not a lot in terms of entertainment around there. Obviously, the stadium itself is used for gigs sometimes, but... Um, it feels like there's a lot more that can be done there. And so if somebody is seeking to acquire West Ham, 
a lot of that acquisition is, I suspect, with that in the back of their mind. What, you right. know, how can we Stanford Bridgeify this area effectively and, and and turn it into this kind of bustling cultural economic center in this part of London? So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, entirely divorced from football, but then as Seb would doubtless agree, so much of football does seem to be divorced from football. So former QPR chief executive Philip Beard, I've uh, off the top you. off the top of my head. Yes. It's a really interesting um, anecdote about him. So when he was at QPR and he kind of had the patronage of uh, Tony Fernandez when he was there, um, he resigned, I think I'm right in saying, he resigned after Les Ferdinand was promoted to director of football. Very strange moment. He, Les Ferdinand was, was promoted and that seemed like a, a good thing um, given his sort of um, roots at the club. And Philip Beard released a statement talking about how he'd been marginalised by it or... It was odd. That was it was a very strange way to end his time there because he was I think he was managing director and then you wouldn't have thought then that sporting director, managing director would have had too much overlap other than any kind of transfer negotiations financially. But obviously um he felt differently and that's that's how he left QPR, which is odd. And he's knocking about this West Ham takeover, apparently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think they sell just because I I, I, I would have it would surprise me if having reached this point with West Ham where the, the, the current ownership still not wildly loved by the fans, but they're hated less. <laughs> sure. It just seems like an odd time to sell. Like you, you're yeah. slightly on the up. You finally seem to have stumbled upon something that works. Um, good transfer activity over the summer. Good, you know, reinforcements for the defense. We think Milenkovic is coming in there from Fiorentina at some point, we think, um, apparently. Um, and why why sell now? Also, the reported price is four hundred million pounds, which seems cheap to me. Interesting. I'm really hungry, so I'm going to go now because I think that's it. Probably it's been a nice time though, hasn't it? The podcast been fun for you, Alex. Fine, yeah, relatively so. Is and it's been fun for you, Seb. I had a really nice time. Great. I'm really excited about the football season. Oh, really excited. All right. Yeah, there we Just go. I'm to show how much more too. enthusiastic you are than me and make me feel sure. bad. Don't think sure. I don't think I need the podcast to do that. <laughs> Probably nothing, actually. <laughs> well, listeners and viewers, of course, because we are now um, releasing these videos filmed. I say filmed movie style on uh, the TIFO IRL YouTube channel. Come and join us there and please throw us a subscribe. We'd very much appreciate that. Uh, thanks, of course, to Seb Stafford-Blore and Alex Stewart. JJ Bull will be back next week with us. And, uh, of course, thanks, as always, to producer Adonis and film man Don Ma. So there we go. That's the end. Be back uh, next uh, Tuesday with more. And, of course, the Premier League will have started by then. Oh, and I'm on holiday, so I won't be here for another three weeks. But uh, I'm sure you'll all have a lovely time. Ta-ra now. <laughs> the Athletic.